And I can remember the day that I pitched it to Adam because we'd been skiing and it was after skiing and Eli was at his ski school and I bought Adam a beer and I was like, okay, I have an idea for you. <laughs> and I remember like, I kind of wanted to make like a PowerPoint deck and have charts and graphs and stuff, but um, I just kind of laid it out. And it's, I think it's very rare in your lifetime when things align. And in terms of my career, I was looking to do something different and I felt like I'd kind of reach my limit in Boulder. Like if I was going to expand my career, I needed to go to Denver. And I was like, I don't want to do that commute to Denver, all of that. I don't know. My husband was working for himself so he could work anywhere. Um, and then my son was about to start kindergarten. So it was sort of like, okay, we're at this point where we could make this happen. Like it's, it's actually a, a good point for Eli to be starting school someplace. We don't have to pull him out of school or anything. Adam can do his thing anywhere and I could just find a new job. And so that's sort of what happened. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, your host, and this is the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. We are believers in doing more of what you love in life. And purpose, it's all about what you love in life. But to do this, we will be asked to take risks and have unwavering faith that everything is going to be okay. You see, in order to do more of what we love in life, we must learn to live from our heart. Tara Kalaman is our guest today, and someone who listened to her heart took a huge risk and landed herself a beautiful life in Greystones, Ireland with her husband, Adam, and my godson, Elijah. BJ and I are super pumped to share her with you guys today as she is one of our dearest friends. Tara is a humor writer, stand-up comedian, and content strategist who spearheaded a family move from Boulder, Colorado to Ireland in 2016, a move which meant her five-year-old son would soon be far, far away from his very involved grandparents and extended family. To make the stew that much more tasty, they had nowhere to live and Tara didn't have a job. They were going from a two-income family to a one-income family in a new country where they knew no one and their closest relatives were an ocean away. I met Tara in massage school when she moved from the day program <laughs> into the night program. Everyone said I was going to love her, but you have to understand, I've known Tara since pre-meditation and deep inner work, so I was a little on guard at the time. All I knew is that she was from Wyoming. And I wasn't sold on the fact that I would have anything in common with a girl from Wyoming, <laughs> <laughs> which is Sorry. the truth. <laughs> Needless to say, we became inseparable and we even went on to write a screenplay about massage school. As long as I've known Tara, I have known her as someone who is not too scared to see her limitations, take the roof off those limitations, and pursue her dreams. She is always going after something that is not in her comfort zone, whether that be learning to swim and becoming a triathlete, starting a meditation practice, joining the local roller derby team, making jokes on stage about the benevolent dictatorship of parenthood, or jumping into the freezing cold Irish sea no matter the time of year. This girl is not one to back away. And that is because she believes that the universe is showing her the way to go. And by listening, she can be in service to those who are seeking more out of their own story, which sounds like the perfect place to jump in to the story of this amazing woman, Tara. 
my love. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, guys. Aww. Hi, Tara. Thank you for that very, very sweet introduction. That was lovely. I almost, I teared up a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you are really, we had um, our friend Gail on who knew BJ and I before we were BJ and I, right? But she was somebody that we worked with. And I don't know if she knows the inner workings like you do. Like you are literally the first person. It's a little dangerous to have you on the show because you <laughs> knew both of us pre-meditation, pre-going in to see what our baggage is. You knew me in the height of, I'm so glad I have nothing to work on years that I live. <laughs> yes, there was, uh, I believe we might have enjoyed some judgments together. There might have been some judgments going on of other people around us. But yeah, I remember the, like when I was thinking about the two of you, there were some scenes from a condo in Winter Park that came to mind. Um, some ski trips that, you know, there was maybe not as much skiing and a little more other activities going on, like uh yeah, but that's what I think is beautiful about you two is that uh, we go back a long way. We've seen each other through lots of transitions and lots of changes. And you, I mean, you guys were awesome then and you're awesome now. Do you know? You're just, uh, you're on a much higher, higher vibe now. I love it. We're on the high flying disc. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We are. We yeah, are. we're on a high flying. And there's disc. no going down. It's only going to go higher. Yeah, yep, but you're exactly. right there with us. You know, we were actually we were um, saying that you are the OGYT. Like you are the absolute first athlete that Yogi Trothley ever had. Much to maybe the chagrin of other people who think they are the OGYT. You are the OGYT. <laughs> Can I put those letters after my name now on my business card? Like yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. OGYT. Perfect. Yeah, OGYT. <laughs> So you were BJ's first athlete that he coached for free. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. <laughs> and like, she was my first meditation student. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, I know. I probably guided you in a very wrong way. No, not true. Not true. <laughs> I learned so much from you guys. And now you're my amazing yoga teachers. And like I learn from you guys all the time. Your cookbooks, like I could go on and on. Yeah, so uh, Tara's been oh, joining us for Monday morning. <laughs> Tara's been joining us yes. for Monday morning uh, yoga because- Monday afternoon, but yes. In my oh, yeah. time, it's afternoon. And it's great because I have it blocked out in my calendar. And people are like, can can we have a meeting then? I'm like, no, I have a very important uh, appointment from three to four every Monday afternoon. <laughs> That's awesome. So what are you taking out of the classes? Or what what's resonating oh, with you? It's just- I love the way you guys do the dual teaching, right? So I get to hear both of your voices. I think that's fantastic. And then like, because I'm familiar with you guys, it's just, there's a level of comfort around doing what we're doing. And then, uh, I mean, obviously just the breathing. Like today I was doing my own little practice. I think that's the other thing is you've helped me form my own practice. Like for a long time, I was like, oh, I can't do yoga unless I'm in a class or I have someone leading it. And then I'm like, wait, I know, like I can do this on my own. And so, but I hear some of the things you say, like, like reaching to the edge of my breath and like all of this stuff that like your little taglines are now in my head. So <laughs> very cool. I think we're in yeah. the heads of many. I think so too. Especially <laughs> some people have the recordings of the class afterwards and they can just hear it over repetition. Over but I over. love that you do it. You do your own practice. You found your own you found your own flow. Yeah. And it's interesting because I was like, why haven't I been doing it? Like I could have been doing this the entire time. Right. But it was like the kind of thing where I felt like I needed to have a guide or a teacher. Like I didn't trust myself enough to be able to just go get on the mat and do what felt good for my body. And now 
like I may not know the names of all the poses, but I know what I'm doing and I know it feels good and I know where what needs more attention in my body and whatnot. And so it's been it's been really fun. It's been a fun journey. And a lot of that also comes out of quarantine, right? Like I'm not going anywhere to go to classes or any of that stuff. So it's been a good forcing function. So what does quarantine look like in Ireland right now? <sighs> you know, we have it very lucky living where we do because we are a 10-minute bike ride from the ocean. Uh, we have lots of hills and trails around us. So it's amazing. Like I think there are some people that are in – Dublin and other more uh, more concentrated urban areas where maybe they don't have the same kind of freedoms. But uh, for the first bit there, you couldn't leave. You could only go within a two-kilometer radius of your house. So it's like you couldn't even go very far. And then they widened that to five kilometers, and now you can go anywhere within your county. Um, but it's just it's it's very interesting. Uh, we haven't been to a grocery store, a shop in a hundred days. We have all of our groceries delivered. Um, my husband is very stringent on <laughs> some of the precautions. You might say he's a germaphobe. Um, but you know, like we wear masks and we do things and we're, we're pretty, uh, my son Eli was sick twice during all of this. And so that was really scary. Um, so it's just been like, for me, it's been amazing to see how much I can, the motivation it's provided me to, to do my strength training classes, to do my yoga, to do my Pilates, to do all the things that I used to go and do outside to bring that into the home and start my own practices here. So it's been nice, but uh, the, the Irish are over it. Like <laughs> they are, they're done. People are like having garden parties and they're out and about and no one's social distancing and no one's wearing masks. Like it is awesome. That's Except about the, it. Par the paranoid Americans. Basically. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Fine. And the and the pubs are closed, which is no oh, bueno. This I like. I don't know. It's funny because we have a little block party within our cul-de-sac, and so we all sit on our driveway and like drink together and like chat. But yeah, it's killing people. They can the pub thing is it's rough. It's rough. It's you, like you, a part, I mean, it's a part of their social structure. Oh yeah, it's a part right? of the culture for sure. It's where you, it's where people go to gather and you find out what's happening in the community and you, you meet friends, you meet family, the whole thing. And so, like, I never thought I'd see a day when pubs were closed in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm, sure I'm surprised there's not much more mayhem. Yeah, I know. I would. Up. Yeah, I would think that too. I thought maybe crime would go up and they'd be more drunken behavior. But people are like people are pretty well behaved. But I think they're definitely like done with it. Is the government offering like support for these, you know, like I'm thinking about these businesses, like the pubs, is there government support on that? I think so. Yes. I know a lot of, there was like an unemployment COVID payment that was going on for people that lost their jobs. Um, so I think they've been doing, I think they've been offering help. There's like been a small business loan that, that some people that, um, I know a few of Adam's clients have actually been taking advantage of, but, um, I, what I like about Ireland is, they're very like the the Taoiseach, the prime minister will get on TV and you can, he's, he's a, he's a doctor. So it's like the things he say, you're like, you're like, Oh, this totally makes sense. And it's very well informed and they keep people uh, like they, they try to communicate as much as possible as to what the government is doing and what's going on. But also in the midst of all this, we just had an election right before all of this happened. So they're still trying to form a government because they have lots of different political parties that come together. And so during this entire time, they've been like, oh, oh, what are we, are we, do we have a government? Do we not? I don't know. Like, here's what's happening. But like, it's just been, it's been very interesting. I think that it's been dealt with better here. And I do feel much safer given that it's a smaller country and we're an island. <laughs> but, um, 
yeah, it's just, I think it's shown us what's really important. You know, we've gotten to be really close with our neighbors and um, just the time that we're spending together as a family. Now I don't have an hour commute, you know, every day. So it's like, there's just things that have been, that, that I have taken for granted that I've been like, oh, this is like, this is the way we should be living, right? We should be able to do this all the time. And now that we have been, it's, it's been fantastic, actually. Do you feel people want to return to normal? Because that's what we feel here. Like we, we hear the normal word a lot. Like I just can't wait till things get back. Well, I feel like they, so many people have just fallen right back to sleep is, is my observation of yeah. some of the things that I've seen living in a in a beach community. Um, yeah. Have you, are you seeing, are you seeing like this urge to kind of go back to this illusion of security and safety? Yeah. I think that's sort of the human way, right? It's comfortable to be able to do that. And like, oh, this was a shakeup and it was interesting for a little bit, but now let's all, it's over, quote unquote over. But uh, yeah, let's go back to what we were doing before. And I don't think people understand that we can't go back to what we were doing before, nor should we. Right. Or that this has given us a platform to really support like a new earth and a new way to live and a new way to connect and a new way to be compassionate right. and, you know, a new way to care for each other yeah. and to protect the young and the elders and, you know, to uh, to protect our own health through how we're treating our bodies, how we think about our bodies, how we feed mm -hmm. our bodies. And also to get in touch with your community, right? Like I think that there's a lot of people who never, who didn't, like there were a few neighbors on my block that I had never met before and now I know them all. And it's that sort of thing, kind of the, being able to slow down and take more time to to do things and yeah, to understand what's important and and make sure that you're valuing those things. So what's one thing that you have like kind of, absorbed that you're not going to like from this that you're not going to like let go of you're going to continue to do this like i don't think that i have to go into the office every day that's for sure you know like we we've been working fine remotely and so i i think when and the other interesting thing is my office is in a co-working space in dublin and so i kind of wonder how a co-working space is going to be able to have people back in there, right? When you share a kitchen and you share meeting rooms and you share a bathroom, like how are you going to be able to socially distance? Uh, how are things going to be able to be kept, you know, sanitary? I don't know. I think it's, and there's no way in the office, the, our actual office that all those people can be in the office and, and because we all sit very close to one another, do you know? And so it's like, I don't think I have to be in the office every day. Like, I think I could go in once a week and be just fine and it wouldn't affect anything. And so yeah. I'm, I'm ditching the commute. <laughs> That's almost Officially, we'll submit, yeah. this, we'll submit this podcast to your boss. <laughs> yeah. FYI. Yeah. Yes. But Adam's yeah. been doing this for a while now, right? He just does remote stuff for yeah. years. That's kind of what he said. He was like, this hasn't changed anything except you guys are around all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he has to share his standing desk with me now. I'm not sure he's super pleased about that, but we alternate with the standing desk. So yeah, I think like, and the other thing is like, he's in charge of a community garden that we have here in Greystones. And that basically, because it was in our two kilometer radius, we could go pretty frequently, but a lot of people couldn't. And so he ended up taking care of 24 plots for people and like watering things. And, and it's just been like amazing to go and, as you guys know, grow your own food and to see that and to be like, okay, we have enough salad for the next three days. And, you know, <laughs> so, 
so much salad. But like, it's been really fantastic, both for mental health and like for him to get out and get on the bike and go and do something physical and just to be taking care of something. And like, that's, that's been really, really lovely. Also. Yeah. I mean, and let's face it. I'm, I don't feel bad for him because I know <laughs> that this is like he loves. This is like his <laughs> deepest pleasure. Are you kidding me? Like he is <laughs> I have to make sure he's he's so sourdough crazy at the moment. It is out of control, <laughs> and he starts talking, and I'm like, uh, yeah, uh-huh, uh, just make the bread. <laughs> <laughs> I'll eat it. Yeah, no, but he like he's amazing, right? Like all the all of his planning, and it's funny because he says that he started prepping a little early because he kind of thought this was coming so like our pantry is we are well stocked for quite a while yeah (laughs) there's like 10 bags of coffee in there like we are not running out of coffee anytime soon good very important all right let's uh let's back up the truck and let's talk about um gosh there's so many things that i want to dive into but i think uh we'd be remiss if we didn't start off with the big move because what um if people Put the math together. We were actually doing a very similar thing in our lives at the same time. You and I ran the 2016 Austin Marathon, right? Was it 2016? Yes, uh, yes. half marathon, wasn't it? No, it, yeah. ex- excuse me. It was the, the full? full marathon. Yes. It's the one where Jessica broke down at the end, crying about Loss's death. Oh my god! I had oh a god, total intense emotional yes. release at the end of that. Yes. yes. And I was at, at that point in my journey where I was releasing some deep grief from putting our dog down, um, which I guess was just a few months before that. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I wrote a blog post on it, but I remember leaning up against like the fencing of the finish line and just letting it rip, like wailing, <laughs> sobbing. I mean, it was like when I came out of it, there was like people had stepped away because <laughs> I was like, I've got to let this move. Like I have to let this emotional yes. release happen. That's right. Yes. Thank you for yes. remembering. You're welcome. Reminding You're welcome. And then I was also thinking uh, because BJ coached me through the four half marathons that I did in 2015. And I think that's like, he was the reason he totally set me up for success with that. I'd never done any sort of like heart rate training or anything like that before. And he was just like knocked it out of the park because I got had better times each half marathon. And then I was totally set to do that marathon with you. Yeah. And it was um, during that time when we stayed at that Airbnb that was uh, riddled with rat traps. Remember that? The rat trap. That was not mentioned on the Airbnb <laughs> list. <Aaron. laughs> Like large rat traps. And, um, but I remember sitting there and we were, I think it was, might have been after the marathon. And you told me, like, we're moving to Ireland. And I was like, yeah. And at that point, I think you were one of, you were the only person that knew what we were doing. We didn't tell people for months, but, you know, as you know, pretty much everything about me, we had to tell you that too. So that was when you let it drop. And then it was probably about six, months after that, that you hit the road. But let's back up and talk about the inspiration, like when you had that inspiration and like, how do you act on something so massive when you're living a comfortable, beautiful life in Boulder, Colorado? Yeah. It's, it's funny because people, when I describe Boulder to people, they're like, wait, so why'd you leave again? (laughs) And that can be hard to, hard to explain, but, um, yeah, things were, things were just really comfortable and, probably things would have remained comfortable had we lived there, but I wanted something more. And 
Adam and I had kind of talked about moving and we were like, okay, well, where would we move in the US? And so we kind of started doing that thing where you like make a list or you look at the map and all of the usual places came up, right? You're like, oh, maybe Portland. You know, you're looking for like liberal cities that have tech jobs because that's what I needed. You know, like, oh, maybe Austin, Texas. Mm. Maybe not Austin, Texas. No, it wasn't. <laughs> we, we did that recon. We said no. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, you know, we just kind of started chatting and we were just like, eh, no place that really felt that, like, felt like it was drawing us. And so then, you know, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. So like my parents, like I moved over to a different country when I was four and my parents did it with three young children. Like I was the oldest. Um, my my youngest, youngest sister was not even a year. So it's like, I knew that you could make it happen. I knew that you could move to another country with a family, with a job and make it happen. And so I kind of started just like opening myself up to what if we chose a different country to live in, do you know? And, uh, it was at that point that I was thinking, and I, I didn't really want to like, it's kind of being like, oh, wh like what, what countries have some tech things going on? And in a stroke of fate, uh, I was on LinkedIn doing some job recon. And a guy that I used to work with at a startup tech had uh, posted something about the fact that he and his family were living in Dublin, and he'd moved over there with his tech job. And I was like, Dublin, Ireland, huh, that's interesting. And like, I, I have some Irish way back, like a lot of Americans do, right? Uh, but I was also named after the Hill of Tara, which is a hill here in Ireland where all the kings used to gather and have their little meetings. Uh, so like, I'd always sort of had this like Irish thing that I, that I had deep down, but I was like, huh, that could be, that could be interesting. So I pinged him and we started emailing a little bit. I was asking him some questions and in the term, like, if you think about easy moves overseas, Ireland's sort of the easiest that you could do, right? It's five hours from New York. They sort of speak the same language. You know, it's it's not a hard move. It's not like we were moving someplace where we had to learn a new language or it was going to be a 20-hour plane ride, any, anything like that. And so in some respects, it was like, okay, this seems manageable. And that's honestly all it was, is I was like, this seems like a cool adventure. Like, let's go try it. And I can remember the day that I pitched it to Adam because we'd been skiing and it was after skiing and Eli was at his ski school and I bought Adam a beer and I was like, okay, I have an idea for you. <laughs> and I remember like, I kind of wanted to make like a PowerPoint deck and have charts and graphs and stuff, but um, I just kind of laid it out. And it's, I think it's very rare in your lifetime when things align. And in terms of my career, I was looking to do something different and I felt like I'd kind of reach my limit in Boulder. Like if I was going to expand my career, I needed to go to Denver. And I was like, I don't want to do that commute to Denver, all of that. I don't know. My husband was working for himself so he could work anywhere. Um, and then my son was about to start kindergarten. So it was sort of like, okay, we're at this point where we could make this happen. Like it's, it's actually a, a good point for Eli to be starting school someplace. We don't have to pull him out of school or anything. Adam can do his thing anywhere and I could just find a new job. And so that's sort of what happened is I said, let's just like, I, I definitely was the leader of this project. <laughs> I was the one that pitched it. I was the one that sold it. And then it was up to me to make it happen. And Adam said pretty much as you know, he's like, this is you. Like if we, if you want to do this, I'm game, but like you have to do this. So that put a little pressure on me. And I think around that time is when I may have helped ask you for some help with meditation. <laughs> 
I remember, I, I rem- and I want to dive into some of the challenges, but I remember like specifically being on the phone with you, like doing a call with you. We used to do like Google Hangout. And I was just like, you are the leader of the household. You have to keep going. Like you need to take the next step. I believe, I believe warrior might've, I think the term warrior might've come up and I was like, yes, I am. I'm the warrior. I could do this. (laughs) It's a lot. It's, it is. It's because, um, you know, you're, you're an, you're an achiever. You're an overachiever. Like you go after things, you get them done. And, there's also a tendency to put a lot of pressure on ourselves when we operate that way. And, you know, you've got, you're moving your young son and your husband and you don't have a job and you guys don't have anywhere to live. And and that's where I felt like there was a lot of pressure was like, you didn't have a job yet. The clock was ticking. And, but what we know, like from our meditation and our spiritual practice is that all like, all of that is just, it's delusion. It's an illusion. It doesn't really exist. And so we have to remind ourselves to kind of live above that and trust in that alignment. So yeah, what were, do you remember some pivotal moments that you were just like, what am I doing? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we like getting rid of our stuff was pretty big, right? Because we got rid of probably 80% of our things. And that felt good because it just felt lighter. And I was like, as you guys know, like downgrading, whatever, like downsizing. It's just such a fabulous feeling to be like, oh, all this stuff. How did I have all this stuff anyway? Um, So that felt really good. Um, And then when we booked our plane tickets, our one-way plane tickets over... We were going to spend a week in North Carolina with Adam's sister and her family before going on to Dublin because we'd never hung out with them before in North Carolina. So we went there and we had a fantastic week and it was the night before we were going to be leaving for Dublin. And I I had kept it together this entire time, right? Like basically <laughs> from January to August, it was go, 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 do all the things. We have to do this. We have to do that. I had a whole like agile project management board set up. It was crazy. And I just sat down and I stopped and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? (laughs) Like, I'm about to take my family to a different country and I don't have a job. And I just started crying and I had a complete breakdown in their living room by myself in the corner. And I got done with it and I was like, okay, well, we leave tomorrow. So (laughs) (laughs) got that out of me. Time to go. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't need to take that with you on the trip. No. I think, um, you know, there's two ways to look at a situation like that. We can dive into the thoughts that want to attach to those emotions and be like, oh my God, this is so big. Oh my God, this is wrong. Oh my God, this is scary. Oh my God, what am I doing? Or we can say, like I did at the Austin Marathon finish line, like, I'm so grateful that I have broken my body down this much that this trauma can leave my tissues so I no longer have to carry it. Like you needed to dump that on on the American soil before you went to Ireland. Yes. Did you have any uh, uh, outside influence or (laughs) chatter from family or your community from Boulder that (laughs) could have uh, have turned your around, around pretty quickly? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, I remember one coworker of mine after I made the big announcement at work and he came over and he's like, why would you do that? He's like, everyone wants to move to America. Why are you leaving? And I was like, I can't even begin to answer this question with you. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Yeah. So there there were people that couldn't, couldn't fathom, could not fathom that we were doing it. I had people say, I would never I could never do that. 
And I was like, never? Really? You, ne- you, could, you could never do this. Really? Okay. And then the family, like, yeah, there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of guilt about why are you taking our grandchild away from us? Well, what what do you think you're going to do over there? Uh, how are you going to get a job? Like just lots of like I can't I can't believe you're doing this to your family. Um, yeah, so that was that was not fun. But I think I think during it all, you just you have to you have to stick to what your like what you know you have to do, and like this is what we had to do, and. Yeah, man, it was it was really hard. Like there there was a lot of pushback from a few different people. But then at the same time, we had people like you guys, like lots of supportive friends that were like, this is amazing. Can't believe you're doing this. Like, this is incredible. Go you. You're so brave. Like, you know, we had lots of positive feedback also. But you can't live your life based on what people are saying and what they are thinking about. So Right. Yeah. I I remember um, you know, we didn't have children and it wasn't out of our wheelhouse to do it what we did. And so, you know, from our parents we just really had support. But the people I mean, people said some crazy things to us, like that we were going to be killed, you know, murdered on the road. <laughs> I mean, insane. And I would remember like hearing those hearing those words come out of their mouth and just like feeling my feet in my shoes and being like, this is the last time I will ever speak to you. (laughs) Like, it's like the emotion, like, okay, like, let's get this point of attraction out of here because I need to continue to move on. And, and really at the, at the base of it, it's not that they're bad people. They're scared. Yeah. And that's, and that's exactly right. It's like you, and I realized that in doing, in doing this, I had to I had to be bigger than the fear. I couldn't let the fear hold us back. And also the other thing I did after that breakdown in the living room in North Carolina is I said, okay, worst case scenario, what is the worst that could happen? We moved to Ireland. We're on a tourist visa. I don't find a job. We have a lovely three-month holiday in Ireland. We come back to America. <laughs> cool. Okay. You know, right. like that's that, and that's basically what I had is I had three months to come over and get a job. And if I hadn't found a job in those three months, we, that's exactly what we would have done is we would have not come back to America. We would have gone someplace else. Right. But like I had a set time period in which I had to find a job. Okay. So you land in Ireland and challenge level number two hits you trying to find a job. I remember many phone calls about this as well, like going into interviews, meditating in the car before the interview. Oh my God. Because again, the clock is ticking. No pressure. You just need to find a job in the next 90 days. Go. Oh, and by the way, like there's all the visa requirements. So it's not just like, oh, I'm just going to rock up and get whatever job I want. Oh, cool. I had salary requirements, visa requirements. I had to make sure because I was pretty sure we weren't going to buy a car. So I was like, okay, it has to be somewhere that I can get to on public transport. Oh, we don't even know what neighborhood or where we're going to be living. So there's also that. Just all of the things. Um, And you know, at the end of it, like I ended it when had two job offers. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I remember that. I remember that. And and that was one of the things that we were visualizing in our meditations together yep. was you having multiple job offers. And that's yep. exactly what you oh had. Oh my God. I did so much that we have this, this green in the middle of Dublin called St. Stephen's Green. And I used to sit there before interviews and just meditate. <laughs> And then go into the job interview and be like super chill. And it was like, fine. But like also knowing that like you fucking have to get a job. You have to get a job. You have to get a job. Right. (laughs) But there were some that I assumed like it was very, it was definitely 
uh, a way to filter out jobs because I would go in and in the first five minutes, I would not fuck around with people. I'd be like, listen, I need this. I'm here. I need to get a visa. This is how much money I need to make. And some people were like, whoa, we can't pay that much. I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> no reason for us to chat any longer. Yeah. Yeah. And actually you turned down a job. You got a job offer, didn't you? And you turned it down. Like that makes no sense. Yeah. 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 Which well, is I had... why you have to do it. Yeah. No, exactly. Like, uh, yeah. And I remember it was the two job offers that I had were for two very different situations. One was a tech company where I would have been doing the same sort of thing and felt pretty comfortable doing the same sort of thing. And then the other one was with this agency and I never worked at an agency before. And the woman running the agency seemed pretty intense, but I was like, I think I can learn stuff from her. And so a lot of it, which felt like a little, a little out of my wheelhouse, but I was like, well, we know which job I have to take. <laughs> and the whole thing is the job that was at the tech company was in the middle of Dublin city center. So had I taken that job, we would, who knows where we would have been living. Right. But the fact that the job that I took was in Bray meant that we started looking at places either in Bray and the next village over, which is Greystones, which is totally how we ended up and landed where we are now. It's because of the job. And so you took the job and now you've got a home and like, okay, great. Like you've, you've achieved it. Except not. Except, <laughs> except this is a good chapter because it gets really, in, like you end up moving in with your mother-in-law in the Bronx while you're waiting for your work visa and it's like a pressure cooker. So take us through that. So Why did in you all go of, back to New York? In, in all of my research, <laughs> I seem to have skimmed over the parts in the uh, you get your visa information uh, that you actually have to leave Ireland while they're processing your visa. Like you can't be in the country while they're doing that. So I'm reading the website. Like I was like, oh, okay, that's, I don't, don't remember reading that. Okay. Okay. Well, I got the job. I accepted the job. Two days later, we were on a flight and they're like, yeah, it should be processed in four to six weeks. And I'm like, oh, that's, I can do that. That's totally fine. Well, the Irish infrastructure <laughs> tends to move a little slower. Yeah. So uh, basically Adam asked his mom, she has an apartment in the Bronx, if we could uh, crash with her for a little while. Unfortunately, it's a larger apartment and she had the room. I mean, granted, Adam and Eli and I were all in sleeping in her bedroom. She was on the couch in the, in the other room and his sister was in her bedroom. Yeah. So that um, four to six weeks that I initially thought we would be there turned into three months. And it's not only was it just three random months, it, we, we were there for Halloween. We were there for the election. We were there for Christmas, which my husband's family does not celebrate. And then we were there for New Year's. <laughs> so. And your boss in Ireland was like saying, if you don't get your visa, you're not like you've got two weeks at, or something like that, and you're not going to have a job anymore. Yeah. Right. Which, like, I totally, yeah, I totally understand that. Like, she hired me. She wanted me to get started working. She didn't want me to like spend three months in New York and then come and start the job. Right. Like, yeah, like she very, very rightly so. She wanted me to start working. But that was like an additional pressure where I was like, oh, my God. And every morning I would wake up and check the Irish visa website and they still hadn't processed it. And so every day I woke up with all this hope. I was like, today's going to be the day. It's going to be the day. And then it wasn't the day. And I was like, well, what are we doing today? 
Was there anything on your side? So you're just waiting for this thing to come up on the website. There's no phone number. There's no, no person. Oh, no, there's, there's definitely, there's definitely an email and a phone number. And I push, I do both of those things and I get the same answer. Like it's, it's being processed. So do you get in line, (laughs) get in the queue? It's being processed. So how do you detach? How do you detach from that? How do you? Yeah. So I discovered a yoga studio in the Bronx <laughs> that I started visiting quite frequently. <laughs> oh, you were, wasn't it Kundalini? Were you doing no, Kundalini is what I did in Boulder oh, right. before the move. This was just a fantastic little place that was like the only yoga to be had in many miles. Uh, but I just went there and I started going there all the time and like hit it off with the teacher, the owner, like just loved it there. Um, lots of walks. Oh, and that's the other thing is I wasn't making any money. So it's not like, like being in New York city without any money is not very much fun. (laughs) Spoken from experience, not so fun. Um, yeah. So we would just like do whatever we could. Let's go to a museum. Let's do this. Like we try. And the other thing is we were homeschooling Eli. Granted, it was like, homeschooling kindergarten. So it wasn't like a big deal, but, uh, yeah. So we made sure that we were like doing workbooks with him and like taking him out to do really cool cultural things and like going to the park across the street. But yeah, it was cause like, I thought I was like, okay, I got the job. We did it. We got the job. We rent. Oh. And the other thing is we rented our place sight unseen, <laughs> found the apartment. Cool. It's in, it's in, it's in Greystones. Love it. Okay. This, this neighborhood looks okay. Send us three pictures. It's all yes. We'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> So you're paying, you're paying. Oh yeah. 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 Paying rent. Yeah. Paying rent. Uh, So it's like, I thought that I'd crossed the big hurdles, right? I'd gotten the job. We'd gotten the place to live. And then there was this one final thing. And I was like, oh my God, this is the test. Like, this is the final test to see if I really can do it. Do I really want to live in Ireland or is this going to be the thing that breaks me? And there were a couple of times when I thought it was going to break me. Yes, we did. We had some uh, we had some <laughs> sessions while you were in that apartment in the Bronx. I remember that, and I re- I just like we would visualize and get you into the feeling of what it was like when you went on the website and it was done. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, oh god. it did. Like, tell us about that day when you woke up and it was done. Oh god. Like, it just felt like a dream. I was just like, oh, my God. But then it was also like, okay, time to book a plane ticket. Let's go. Let's, you know, then it was like this whole new thing of like, got to go. See ya. Got pack up our stuff again. And oh, oh, let's go. Um, It just, it felt like it was finally happening. Like, it was finally starting through all of this time of waiting and doing the things and searching and interviewing and all of the stuff. Like, it was finally happening. And after that, I was like, God, if I can survive this, like Ireland's starting a new job, whatever, this is going to be the easy part. <laughs> so, what it was. Was, so what was it? Like? I mean, well, let me ask you this. Was it all worth it? Oh, please. We love it here. Yes. Yes. It was so worth it. And to see my family blossom the way that we have and the fact that we, like, my husband is involved in everything, right? Like he's become such a part of the community. And that's the thing is like when you move someplace and you don't know anyone, so you guys know, you just have to insert yourself into things and say yes and join things and start things. That's the other thing is like as Americans, we're like, oh, sure, we'll do it. No problem. We'll start that thing. Yeah, totally cool. (laughs) So that's also been kind of our reputation around here is like people are like, oh yeah, Adam will do it. Tara will do it. It's fine. (laughs) What are what is something about the Irish culture that you guys have brought into your home that you just love? Like that br- you've brought into your own life. I think just the importance of 
spending time with friends and family. Like it's just such a thing here. And like, yeah, you can bring like the pub and the drinking culture into it, but I think it goes so much deeper than that. It's just about like really being involved in your community and like taking care and knowing the people that you live around and that you live with. And that's like, I think we had a little bit of that in Boulder, but people are so, are striving for so much especially in Boulder, right? It's always like, how how fast are you going? Or what's your what's your race time? What are you training for? This or that. People here are just like, you're really energetic. Like, why don't you just <laughs> have a seat and chill out for a little bit? You know? Like, I remember talking to people when I first started work and I was telling them about like the workouts I was doing and stuff. And they're like, why do you work out so much? And I was like, this is like nothing compared to Boulder, right? Like what I was doing was nothing compared to the people in Boulder. But that's just the thing. People, I think they just move a little slower. They just, they appreciate life and like the things that, the the parts of life that aren't tangible, like the, they appreciate the relationships and their family and the time together. And it's, oh, it's just nice to slow down. <laughs> you know, there's a, it just reminded me of something that um, there's a girl here that I met in San Diego and we, we just kind of know each other online at this point. Um, she's young, but she's really tapped in. And and she's pretty edgy, so I, I like all of it. Uh, but she did a post maybe about a month ago about how because she's like she's a yogi, but she's like go 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 like she's super fit and she's so you know it's it's taking that fire and and getting that into the ground a little bit. And she talked about how she had this moment where she realized that she was so busy achieving for her business, achieving for her her reputation, achieving for her body, that she started to realize that like phone calls with family, like a phone call would come in and she'd be like, I don't have time for this. Like I, I've got it. I got So like the to-do list trumped. And, and that really hit me. I was like, I have done that so many times. I have done that so many times. And so it's that, you know, it's that moment that just that shift where you realize like, you know, this quarantine is teaching us that we must slow down. And we know the laws of the universe, you know, 50% of it is allowing and receiving, not doing, but being done. And I think with big moves like, you know, that we did and that you did, like you really get to see that. But we can do that in any hour within the day is just take a breath, receive, allow, you know, open. So somebody might look at your story and say, oh, well, she had that contact in Dublin. And so that's how it worked out for her. Well, I don't have that. But you said something really key before you told that story is you said, I just opened up. Like I just opened. And that's what it takes for the universe to get through to what it's been organizing on our behalf. Exactly. And to that point, it's like, I think because... I said yes to all of this. The universe has been like, oh, so you'll move across, you'll move to a different country? Cool. How about this? Will you do this? And I'm like, yes, yes. So I've been saying, yeah, like I haven't stopped. You know, I, all I do is say yes to things. Like, uh, I, you know, whether it be like I, I organized this International Women's Day event because someone asked and I was like, yeah, that sounds really cool. I'll do that. Got to meet so many amazing women in the process and raised money for charity and did this whole thing. And it's like, I just feel like the opportunities keep coming because I've proven that I will say yes to things, that I'm open to things. And it's like if you're if you're closed off or you're afraid of these these things, like, oh, I might fail. Oh, please. Or if like, oh, I just I don't know how to do that thing. 
oh, please. Like, I don't know how to do anything. I fail all the time. You should see my stand-up set. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, my God. I watched three of your sets the other day. <laughs> and I was laughing so hard. And I felt bad because you were fr- – BJ was frustrated about something. I don't know what you were – Spectrum, you were, maybe. Oh, yeah. It might have been the internet. the internet. And I'm over here. I'm, like, laughing, like, dying. There's there's some good stuff. And Thank you. And I felt bad because there was one joke that could have been about you guys. But it's obviously not about you guys. But, like, I'm setting the scene about Boulder and telling people about Boulder. And I'm like, yeah, there's three type of people in Boulder. There's – the uh, massage therapists, there's the yoga teachers, and there's the vegans. And I'm like, and the most annoying people are all three. <laughs> and the people you love the most. Exactly. Of course. All right. Course. So, um, yeah. So you're not scared. Like, you're so not scared that you joined a freaking women's roller derby team. Dude, Listen, that was what, also. That was in what? Yeah. That, that? I needed friends. I needed friends. I'll be very honest. Like, six months in. We were sitting at the dinner table and Adam was like, I was like, I don't think I have any friends. And Adam was like, have you tried making friends? And I was like, I don't think I have. No. Cause like I had like people that I worked with that I liked and stuff, but I hadn't actually like done anything to like make friends. And so I started thinking and I'm like, okay, what could I do that I could meet some cool women? Right. And I was like, well, like there's a book club and I'd done that. And I was like, that's kind of lame. I don't, eh, yeah, girl, let's read a book together. I can do, I can do that on my own. Thanks. Uh, you know, it's so like kind of been like, oh, I guess I could like join an app. Like they have these apps that you can meet friends. And I'm like, oh, it's too much like dating. Like I don't want to put together a profile and like have someone swipe on me to be a friend. Like, oh, that just feels very slimy. Um, and so I was leaving the gym one day and I saw this huge poster and it was like, we want you for the roller derby team. And I was like, me, you want me for that? Oh my God, I do. Oh my God. (laughs) But it's like, it's so true. Like when you're a certain age and you want to like join a team, which is a great way to meet people, you have very few opportunities to join a team, right? Especially in Ireland, like it was either rugby or roller derby. And I remember looking at those two options and being like, oh, rugby seems really violent. I'm going to choose roller derby, which is also very violent. Which is basically (laughs) rugby on roller skates. Bingo. (laughs) So did you even know how to roller skate? Oh, my God. I used to be so good. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. And that's the thing. Yes. Yes. And that's the thing is like when I was like probably between the ages of eight and ten, roller skated all the time loved it so when they had the open the open skate night right they have skates you can just come and like try tell them your size they give you skates as soon as i got those on it took me like two minutes and i was like oh yeah i remember this like my body it was just like muscle memory and it all came back to me and after that first night i was like take all of my money whatever you need sign me up and so i joined they have a training session called fresh meat and you do a three month fresh meat training training session. And then at the end of that, you have to take a test. And if you can pass the test, you can make it on the team. And it was, it was incredible. Like it was exactly what I needed. It was, I met so many cool women from all different walks of life, right? People that I would never have met otherwise, different ages, different nationalities, uh, different socioeconomic levels, like just all over the place. And it was so, God, it's so fun. Um, It's also very rough. Like there were some bruises and some some mornings when I woke up and I was like, oh, I can't really walk down the stairs. Okay, cool. So, uh, you know, you you and I have some similarities that we maybe had some suppressed anger that we had to get out. Um, Oh, don't even get me started. (laughs) Roller derby is amazing. And especially like this is a time when like, 
Trump and the Kavanaugh thing. I'm like, just all of the stuff, right? And I was like, oh, I just, I'm, I'm, I would love to get this anger out somewhere. How about I knock some bitches around? Cool. <laughs> okay, thanks. But like, also, not just that, it taught me so much about taking up space, right? Like, using my body, because like, I have some junk in my trunk. I'm not like, it's fine. But like, it's such an asset in roller derby to like, just be able to stick my ass out and like block people and they can't get around it. And I can like use it as like, it's like a super offensive, offensive like weapon there. And it's like, I just, the using my body, taking up space, realizing that I can take a hit, I can give a hit, I can fall down, I can get back up. Like there are so many lessons. And it's like, it sounds like it's, yeah, it's very physical and it is, but I think that all translates to the mental, right? Like all of those lessons are things that you can apply in your life every day. And it's just like the ability to, like, it's all DIY in roller derby. Like it's not, you know, we are a self-organized team. When we have matches, everyone comes together and has a job and we all make it happen together. Uh, we have the rules and we vote people into, into different offices and positions. And it's like, you realize what it takes to keep something like that going. And oh God, it's, just, it's amazing. It really, I felt like I was able to like tap into some power that I hadn't had access to before. And so many people would have, I mean, I think I would have been included in that. Like, I'm not doing, well, I, I probably would have been absolutely crushed and rolled over. Because, <laughs> I mean, not necessarily. You, you would, I think you'd be a fantastic jammer. Ooh. Like, that's the thing. What's that's the thing is like, so jammer is the one who scores the points. So they're the ones that like kind of get in between the blockers oh, yeah, and try be, and make their way. Yeah. Totally. Oh, you can and like whip the them quickly. Like, mm-hmm, you do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. You you have yeah. actually whipped me around in a circle. I <laughs> think several I, times I mean, in sounds, our relationship. Sounds, sounds about right. Sounds like something we probably have done. Yes, <laughs> yes. But that's the thing is, people are like, "Oh, I don't have the right body type, or I'm not an athlete." And it's like it doesn't matter in derby, like all sizes, because whatever your strengths are, are because you have to do offense and defense together at the same time in the game. And so, if you're a smaller person, you're going to make a really good jammer. If you're someone who's a little larger, you're going to be a good blocker, right? If you're not that great on skates, but you're like learning, you're obviously like that gets better with time, the skating. But it's just like it's so fun. And talk about being present. Like you can't think about any fucking thing else when you're on skates. Like you have got to be in the zone, like thinking about, and then you stop thinking about your feet after a little while. But like you still have to be like, what's going on in the game? Where are my teammates? What's happening? Like it's just so intense in terms of being a game where you have to know, like be present and and know what's going on. Yeah. So did you make any friends after hitting and slamming all these people? (laughs) Yes, I yeah. made so many friends. And not only that, I got so much good material that I've written a TV pilot about yes, it. Yes, I was just going to say that. Yes. Well, so, let's talk about your your, your screenplay yeah, that well, you guys put together. and then Yeah, so Tara, you as long as I've known you, you've been going after your writing, and as, as have I. But I always kind of felt like I was a little bit in your shadow because you're so good and, you know, I'm never good enough. But you reached out to me and you were like, let's write a screenplay together. And we wrote a screenplay based on our massage school, uh, based on actual events. We have changed, <laughs> we changed the names. Um, and actually, I think we inserted a few things from real life experiences that we had as massage therapists. Could've, which could could be based on some real things that right. we experienced. And I just want to yes. say to the listeners that if you're thinking that that might be what it is, yep, that is what it is. That's what, was what the we title? wrote about. What were we going to call it? BJ came up with the title. Remember? Yep. 
Yeah. What was the title? Flip over. Flip over. Flip over. Flip over. So good, BJ. So good. So good. Um, yeah. But, and you've got that in your repertoire. Um, it probably, yep. probably needs a little work, but um, but you've been building and building and building your portfolio because what is your dream? Like, what is the pie in the sky for you as a screenwriter? I really, I just really want to, I want to get paid to write for television and film. And if for a long time, it was just like, I want to write for television and film. And then recently I've added in the get paid to write for television and film because like, I, I think what I'm doing is really valuable and that's what I want to do. I want to get paid to do that all the time. And so, um, yeah, that's what I've been, that's what I've been working towards. It's, I find that it's hard for me because there's a lot of different types of writing that I enjoy. Like I write humorous essays. And then when I was doing stand-up, all I was writing was jokes all the time, jokes, jokes, jokes. But I think all of it sort of comes together. I think the screenplay format and the TV pilot format is really good for both the jokes and then some of the uh, like some of the character building and the stuff that I like to do in other parts of my writing. But yeah, I just, man, I want, I want to see something that I've made on, on TV. Do you feel like it's getting closer to you? Do you know what's crazy is uh, when I moved over here, I was like, oh, like it never occurred to me that my writing would benefit from moving over here. <laughs> it sounds kind of silly to say now because you're like, uh, like, of course, it's huge upheaval in your life is going to cause, you know, some some shifts in your writing or cause something to happen. But I really like it was sort of the back of my brain. I was like, oh, like I'll be writing, but it's not like it's going to be different in Ireland my God, it's so much different here because it's a smaller ecosystem. So I've been able to meet people. Like I've met producers and I've met directors and I pitched my idea and it's like, it feels like it's attainable here. Whereas when I was writing screenplays in Colorado, it was kind of like, oh, this fun hobby that I'm doing. That's like, I just do it on the side. And it's never going to go anywhere here. I'm like, oh my God, I, it could go somewhere. Like I could actually make it happen here. And it makes sense, right? Like Ireland loves its writers. You know, we have statues all over town dedicated to writers. And it's like, this is a, this is a country and a culture where writing is a real thing that people take seriously. And it's like, I just look around at my friends now and I have two friends who are novelists and I have a friend who, who, you know, writes this other thing. Like I just have a lot of people who are creating things. And I feel like that is, it's really cool to be in that energy and to know that there's a lot of people who are both wanting me to succeed. And then also there's people here who could actually help me to succeed, who could actually help make the dream come true. And that's crazy to me. <laughs> Was that, that's, this is so awesome. Was that in your awareness at all, at all when you selected no. Ireland to go? No. So it's the attraction. It's the, just that attraction that mm -hmm. that you're not you're unaware of the attraction. It's just mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, I think it all like go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say it's it's something that PJ and I were talking about yesterday. It's it's um it really is this evidence that when you stay focused, you nullify the doubt, you keep moving forward, you don't see the challenges as a as a sign to stop. You keep going, you keep going, you keep going. That you end up landing like you landed yourself in a country that reveres writers like. That is your dream. And that wasn't something that, you know, it was like you were, okay, one way ticket. When are we leaving? You know, all the logistics, whereas the universe is going, okay, yep. All right. She keeps going. So let's get all these people mm -hmm. lined up to come into her field. Yep. I mean, it's perfect. You couldn't be in a better place. Yep. Yep. And so then last year, 
one of my writer friends forwarded me this link and it's for this program called Cross Pollinator. And she was like, oh, you should apply for this. And I started reading it and it's for emerging screenwriters. And it would that you come together in these two, two different, two different weekends, like these full-on workshops where you meet all these people and you pitch your ideas and you work on production details and you learn about distribution, like all the different facets of the film and TV industry. And I remember reading the application and being like, oh my God, are you, like, are you can't I can't apply for this. Are you kidding me? You had to put together a CV of creative works. And I was like, a CV of creative works? I was like, oh my God. So it was like the weekend before the deadline. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, let me just like try the CV thing. And as I was putting it together, I had my stand-up comedy. I had my humorous essays. I had this event that I'd produced. I had these videos that I'd produced. All of this stuff started coming together. And I was like, oh my God, I have a CV of creative work <laughs> and it looks really good on paper. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> so I was like, okay, I have that. But then you had to write like a statement as to why they should accept you into the program. And I just let loose. I was like, I need to be in this. You don't understand. I don't know anybody in this country. You need to get me in this program. I am so talented. I would be such a benefit. I need to meet these people. Like I just laid it out. I was like, I'm the breadwinner. I'm the mom. I work in tech during the day. Like I need to be in this program. I am like, I need to be in this. And I basically just like, that's what I said. And then I fucking got the email and I got in and it was... (laughs) It was crazy. And it was like the two weekends were so amazing. But my first day there, it was total imposter syndrome. I was like, I shouldn't be here. And like, there were hundreds of people that did not get into this program. And I did. And I was like, I'm taking someone else's place. What am I doing here? This, this, I can't, I can't believe I'm here. I've never actually had anything produced. Like, what am I doing? I've only written a couple screenplays. And by the end of the weekend, I'd met so many people And I walked away being like, yes, yes, I need to be here. These are my women. These are the women I want to work with. This is what I want to do. And it was so energizing. And it just like lit the fire under my ass. It was so good. When was that? How I remember that. (sighs) So I had a weekend at the end of November and then one in the beginning of December. And it was so funny because the last one that we had in the beginning of December, we flew to the United States like four days later for Christmas. (laughs) 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 And I remember just being like, whoa, Yeah, it was, but it was incredible. And I've met all of these contacts. I've had phone calls with producers. Like, I know who I need to pitch to now. I know how it's done. And I've met these people who will read my script whenever I want them to. I I love how you made the decision. Like, you got the application, you're actually there, and then all the remorse and unworthiness. And, and, and thought. So, this is the very reason why you need to separate your thoughts from what you're actually. Um, what you actually act on and believe in, because they're going to come even, even to this point, you've come this far and you're like, please give me a break. Like, just let me into this thing. Like I deserve it. You're there. And then the thoughts flood in. And And the other thing is that the number of other women who are having very similar thoughts, like I talked to a lot of women that weekend who are like, I can't, like, I don't belong here. Like, I can't believe I'm here. And I was like, oh my God, is it just women that have imposter syndrome? (laughs) But it was that thing where we were just like, it, yeah, we don't either. We just, it was, and also it was just such an amazing experience and opportunity that I think so many of us were just like, I can't believe that they're doing this and that I'm here and that they picked me. And oh my God, <laughs> you know? What is the value of vulnerability 
in <sighs> going after your dreams and listening to your heart and putting yourself out there and, you know, really enduring those moments of imposter syndrome? What, it, what is vulnerability? How does it play into this? That's all there is. Like, that's how you connect with people. I learned that during like my first couple times doing stand up back in Ireland, you know, like it's because I had done stand up before, but then I decided that I was going to do it regularly, like once or twice a week and really get good at writing jokes and honing my voice and like getting up on stage, especially when I am one of the only people in their 40s there. I'm one of the only women there. I'm almost always the only parent there, right? And getting up and talking about things that other people are like, I can't believe, like, what is she even talking about? It's like, but it's, that's where you make the connection. That's where you find the good stuff is being vulnerable and sharing yourself. And like, it's so hard and it feels, it can feel uncomfortable and it can feel really scary, but like, that's where you find the gold. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yes. You got to let go of what your story, what your story is and that wants to keep you safe. So, I mean, yeah. that is literally getting up on a stage in front of strangers to try to be funny or be yourself. I shouldn't say try to be funny, be yourself and let your personality come out. And that's extremely vulnerable. That's like, mm -hmm. might be the extreme case of vulnerability. I think one of the best stand-up routines you ever did was when you were like uh, 12 months pregnant and you were at a dive bar in Denver. <laughs> I watch that sometimes and my belly you were so is pregnant. so big. It is so big. I'm Huge. like, was, my, was I, I was that big? And then the other thing that's really cute about that video is like, I can hear Adam laughing in the background. So I'm just like, okay, well, like the guy who made me get up on stage is at least enjoying it. So that's good. Um, and the other thing It's that also nice to have a link to a YouTube video that I can just send my son's future therapist. <laughs> that'll be... That'll be handy. I, Here you go. I know that you had to amend some of your um, material. So, you know, in hopes that you would have a healthy baby, which you did. Um, I also think that it was really cute that you were stone cold sober during that set. <laughs> Let's talk Probably about- Probably one of the only times that I've done stand up. Let's sober. talk about this uh, amazing being that we almost like didn't get out of your body. So Tara, um, being entrusted to the universe, asked me to be her doula. <laughs> I, was, I don't. I don't think it was like doula proper. Because remember, I had a doula. Oh, that's right. Like some some other chick that I fired the day of. Do you remember that? I just was like, oh, I don't want you here. You're 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 not, you're not needed. I have Jessica. It's fine. <laughs> uh, you were just going to be there as like a friend. Like oh, like I just want someone there who's going to make me laugh. Oh, she has some massage skills. Perfect. She can make like it, it'll be it'll be grand. Like she'll come and she'll make me feel comfortable, and it'll be like this piece of my heart that is outside of my body that can help me through this. Like yes, my husband's great, but like I want Jessica there. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was an amazing experience, and and I always say to you, thank you so much for having a child, so I don't have to. And then you made me his godmother, which is, and then BJ got got ordained as his um his stand in. A godfather, if uh, yeah, his second godfather, yeah, his second godfather years later. Mm -hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit about parenting and this benevolent uh dictatorship that I heard you speak of in one of your sets. Man, you want to talk about lessons? Oh, that kid, like, I just I think about how, like, I just I don't think I understand. I understood compassion before I had a child, like, he just made me realize like you start seeing people in a whole new light like oh this person is someone's kid and that to me was like a huge awakening but then just to like also know that I want to do right by him like I I, I feel like 
after he was born is when my ambition kicked in. Like before then, I was just kind of like idling, idling along. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do something over. Oh, maybe I'll try tech. Oh, maybe I'll go to massage therapy school. Oh, whatever, right? I was just kind of like all over the place. But I feel like after I had him is when I was like, oh, I need to do something, something that's going to outlive me, something that will make him proud. Sort of the idea of having um, just, I don't want to say legacy necessarily, but just something that it just made me want to achieve something that I, I hadn't thought possible before. And I think it's maybe because I'd never thought I would have a kid. And so maybe after having him, I was like, oh, if I could do that, like I could write a screenplay, <laughs> right? It's like once you birth one thing, you can birth something else. It's fine. Yeah, but he just continually is like, I mean, talk about being in the present moment, right? Like all the time. And you can't just turn off when he's around. Like you have to be engaged and present and... I see a lot of parents who aren't, and it makes me sad, you know, but I feel like doing this, moving him to another country, like I see all the goodness it's bringing to his life also, right? Like he has so many good friends here and he loves it and he doesn't have to grow up in a culture where he's doing active shooter drills at school, you know, like that's not a piece of his childhood. And so I feel like it's been a really good thing for him, but just for our entire family. And man, being a parent is super hard. And I make a lot of jokes about it on stage because it's an outlet and it's an easy thing to make jokes about sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, he's always, he's, he's the best teacher I've had. So when, when Eli was born, you guys did some really non-traditional things with him. Like um, I remember you saying, <laughs> I'm not going to put him in a baby jail, AKA a crib. Uh, <laughs> and so what was one of the, what were some of the books, you know, if anybody's listening to this and they're, they're bringing a new human into the world, what were some of the books that you yeah. read that allowed you to go down this road of, you know, again, kind of against the grain of society? Like you're not going to put your kid in a crib. You're never going to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of Montessori involved. I'm sure everyone has heard of Montessori or knows about it. Um, or parents anywhere, parents to be. It's uh yeah, it was just sort of the idea of letting uh letting him be his own, like allowing him to explore his world in a safe way, right? Without saying, This is what you're gonna do, you're gonna sleep in this cage over here and where he and people, that's another thing. People thought we were crazy. Like my, like I had a friend who was like, is that a litter box? Like, is he sleeping in a litter box? <laughs> I was like, kind of, it's a little more comfortable than that. We call it a floor bed, but uh, yeah, but that's what we did is we baby proofed his room and he had a floor bed and he slept in the floor bed and it was great. Cause he like some, mor <laughs> some mornings he just like, and he was also uh, swaddled. So he would like roll out of the floor bed and some mornings we'd come in. He's like halfway across the room. <laughs> fine. Roll on friend. Roll on. It's fine. Um, but like that made it so much easier. Like there's a lot of research done around the floor bed thing, but like what it turned out to be for us is like, he, like when we moved him into a bigger bed, it was no big deal. Like you hear these stories about parents who can't get their kid from the crib to a, a big boy bed or like a big bed. And it's like, we didn't have any problem because he'd been sleeping in a bed the entire time. It was just a little tiny bed that was on the floor. It was really cute and safe and beautiful and much more than a litter box. But I I did, um, as I did stay there, I did witness him waking up halfway across the room. <laughs> yes, yes. And like, I remember my, like a lot of the grandparents thought we were crazy. <laughs> But it's just the same thing. Like you have to stick to what you're doing and be like, okay, well, it's fine for you to think that. I understand you have concerns about his safety. We're ensuring that he is safe. Like he's not going to roll out of the room. It's fine. Uh, 
but like you just have to do what you have to do. And I think that has been fantastic. The kid is a great sleeper. I will tell you that. He's a great kid. Mm. We He's love a champion him. sleeper. We love him, even though you took him so far away from us. So but you know, far. I'm not that good of a godmother anyway. It's fine. It's fine. Um, what do you want people to take away from your story, from your words? from this experience of life that you have just shared with us, which is so profound. I think you just, you just have to be open to things. You have to say yes. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable and to do things that other people might question or might think are crazy if it's what you want to do, if it's what you're drawn to doing. Like it's, it's fine to not care what people think. And to, you know, to do the things that are going to make you happy, that are good for your family, things that you've always wanted to do. Like, I feel like there's such a, a thing that you have to like do these, do these certain things, you know, this prescribed order of things and do this. And if you don't do this, you're never going to achieve whatever it might be. And it's like everyone's definition of happiness and success is going to be different. Like I'm, I feel like we have been successful moving to a new country and, the things that we've been able to do here, challenging ourselves and growing, like we wouldn't have had this, any of this happen to us if we'd stayed in Boulder, do you know? And so I think people just have to, they have to be okay being like saying yes and, and looking at that fear and not letting it get in the way of doing what you want to do. What if someone doesn't know what they want to do? I mean, meditation's great for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to learn how to listen to that voice inside of you. And I think for a lot of people, that voice has been uh, silenced by all of the external stuff and all the noise and people telling you what you should do or the media or whatever it is. And the more that you can tune that out and start to listen to what your inner voice is saying to you, that's how you're going to know your purpose. That's how you're going to know what it is that you were called to be doing. But I don't think you can do that until you start listening to that voice inside of you. Mm, I think that's a beautiful place to end. BJ, I want to give you the mic for a second because you've always been so supportive of Tara and I and our shenanigans and um, not always doing things from Ahimsa back in the day. Um, and uh, what do you want to say to our, our friend that she shared so generously on the show today? I, I knew, I just watched both of you like through the years in Boulder and and after and all the crazy antics and like <laughs> massage conversation, which was really about massage. It was just, would take a different route, but you get, you're both, <laughs> I've witnessed a lot of things our podcast audience would, would, would love to hear, but it always left me laughing and always left me, um, just being, being in that energy. I just loved to, to witness it. I, I really didn't have any feedback, but you're both very extremely creative and I think you play off each other so well. And you've always been that person that has uh, been open to change. Uh, when I look back at when you were in the pool with me and just wanting to learn how to swim and realizing you were that first athlete for me, like that helped me grow too. It gave me the opportunity to, to engage and, and step up for, for my purpose. But uh, ever since those days, you've always done what was not norm. And I know that ruffles a lot of, of the feathers of your communities in the world, but you've always stuck to it. And I think that is a lesson that Eli is going to just 
he is going to fly so high from what you and Adam provide. And it starts with, um, it just starts with that curiosity and that not giving a shit basically of what words come out of your mouth or what actions you take. If it feels aligned with you, you need to do, you must do it. You must act on it. So I see so much courage and bravery in your journey. And I hope, I just hope that people listening to this take a small part of it because it it's possible for them too. It's absolutely possible for them. So thank you for the inspiration always. Oh, thank you. Thanks both of you. But BJ, especially like I remember I was so uncomfortable in the water and you were like this, you're like this, I, I think I want to be a coach and I, I'm going to try coaching. And I, it was just like, it was amazing seeing you become who you were supposed to be and like blossoming into all of this and like, oh, amazing, amazing stuff. And by the way, uh, I know that you guys know this, but I'm just going to make sure that it's publicly stated that my son will be attending the Yogi Triathlete Camp uh, in 2029, I think is what we're planning. Yes. Yeah. There's going to, there's going to be a whole <laughs> thing where we ship him off to his godparents for a couple of weeks. Well, and- I mean, I've been talking to that little boy since he was in the womb about the endurance athlete that he is meant to be. So do you remember that I have video of you massaging me? And it's so funny because I showed it to Eli the uh-huh. other day. And I was like, I was like, see, there here you are, you're in my belly, and there's Auntie Jess, and she's like working on me. And like we were <laughs> cracking these jokes. I was working on you. I was like doing push-ups on your sacrum on my fists. <laughs> That's what I was doing. I was like, how can I lean is more like the body weight of a semi into her right now? I gotta get this kid Do you out. remember we were talking about the bloody show? <laughs> <laughs> that will be for the next oh, episode. Listen, um, listen. Yeah, you guys are amazing. So uh, I think I think we've both uh, been essential parts of of journeys together. And um, oh yeah, thank you, thank you for everything you've given me. Yeah, you're you're amazing. We love you dearly. Um, how can people? I'm going to put links up to lots of all stuff, of my many lot of her creative works her cv of creative works um you guys have to check out some of her stand up we'll put a link to the pregnant stand up um where are you most active um oh, that's a good question uh i i'm on twitter i was i was off i was out of love with twitter for a little while but during a uh, quarantine i've fallen back in love with twitter so uh I, on twitter i'm terrible uh, and then I'm quite literally terrible. That's my, that's my username. Uh, and then, uh, on Instagram, Tara Callaman, and I have my website, TaraCallaman.com. Yeah. And there's a silent H in there. <laughs> Always hangs me up. <laughs> you, the Irish, forget about it. They like blows their mind. They have no idea. Callahan? Are you Callahan? <laughs> I'm not Callahan. Thank you so much. We love Thanks, you dearly. Sarah. Oh, love you guys. Thank you for having me. This has been such a pleasure and an honor. Shh.